Hello and welcome to Honey Are You Happy, a podcast dedicated to breaking down the bullshit around health and well-being through authentic and challenging conversations that question present day health and wellness in order for you to become your healthiest, happiest and most fulfilled self. I'm your host Joss, I'm an assistant psychologist and eating disorder ambassador for the UK's leading eating disorder charity. I have a wealth of experience in mental health, advocacy, public speaking and behaviour change. Having recovered from anorexia nervosa myself in my teenage years and then gone on to commence at least five years of training and research in psychology. I have been guest speaker for BBC News, Victoria Derbyshire and many other mental health podcasts. I'm an avid blogger, adrenaline junkie and travel addict. Most of all, I'm a sister, a daughter, a friend, a lover. But most importantly, I'm your biggest cheerleader. I'm here for you to reach your full potential and navigate this bullshit that we label health and wellness. So without further ado, let's start today's episode. This is Anorexia Recovery from Surviving to Thriving. Welcome back. Um, It's so hot today. I'm literally melting. This is probably the worst day to record a podcast on, but we're going to give it a go. Um, I thought I'd kickstart our first episode on the Honey Are You Happy podcast with a little bit of a background to my own story. Obviously, I kind of give my introduction to who I am, but there is more behind just the kind of titles that we, we put with ourselves and um, the status that we give ourselves. Um, so kickstarting, I'm going to take you through a brief whistle-stop tour of my story. Um, this really sets the scene for why I started the podcast, my blog, and why I started my career in psychology. I have spoken about different aspects of my recovery extensively on other podcasts, which I will link in the show notes. So you can find you can find out about more of anything that interests you. Literally, I've covered everything from inpatient experiences to intimacy and anorexia to recovery principles to my own theory of recovery. And there's just no point me <laughs> reproducing content. So I'm just going to link those before um, below. They're also just some of my favorite podcasts. So I just really recommend you go listen to those chats because they're awesome and they're so insightful and um, you'll get more of an insight into me and my recovery. So I always get like a bit confused about where to start with my kind of journey, my story, because anyone who's had a chronic illness or recovered from a chronic illness will know there is very rarely a linear pathway. And especially with eating disorders, a lot of kind of different tangents and segments happened um, before I got ill, during and after. And so it makes the whole thing quite lengthy. And for the sake of it being a podcast and not wanting to bore you to death with the sound of my own voice I don't want this to drag on very long so I'm going to do my absolute best um, to do a real kind of whistle stop tour of my journey and just kind of give you a kind of overview of, of who I am where I've been where I'm going why I'm doing what I'm doing today and also to raise some awareness and give some insight into these really complex and multifaceted illnesses which are eating disorders. Um, So I developed anorexia nervosa back in about 2007-2008 
Um, the symptoms that I had were really sneaky and kind of crept up um, over the whole summer period in the run up to my GCSEs. Um, and they progressively just got worse. Now, for those of you who don't know, because I'm really assuming that when I say anorexia nervosa, everyone understands what I mean. Um, but for those who don't, anorexia is a serious mental illness. It's one of the eating disorders. Um, there are many different eating disorders. I will also link in the show notes to um, an amazing charity that I advocate for, um, where you can read up more about different types, um, because I'll only be focusing on anorexia today. But um, the kind of main symptoms are that people will lose a lot of weight due to limiting how much they eat and drink. So they're very controlling and the weight loss will be rapid in, and over like a few weeks, few months, they will lose up to about 50%, maybe even more of their body weight. They may also develop lots of rules around what they feel they can and cannot eat. Um, things like when they eat, what they'll eat, how they'll eat, who they'll eat around and real strict rules around maybe exercise as well. Um, so maybe it's about earning your food or having to compensate a lot for what you've eaten. Um, anorexia can affect anyone of any age, gender, ethnicity or background. So as well as eat, limiting how much um, they eat and maybe manipulating their exercise. They may do things like use laxatives to get rid of food that they've eaten, um, or they may experience as well cycles of binging, so eating large amounts of food and then purging, which is vomiting. So it can kind of slip in and out of bulimia because that is more bulimic, but anorexia is more this kind of real restrictive nature around food. Um, weight and shape will be a really big factor within someone with anorexia's sense of self-worth self-worth this can lead them to like checking their body really regularly trying to avoid scales or overusing scales by weighing themselves multiple times a day um or looking in mirrors or body checking by pinching skin to see if they've got any bigger um the way people with anorexia see themselves is often completely different to how people around them see themselves they have this really distorted view of themselves they often think that they are really really large um, and they can't see how dangerously ill they are and they'll have this really deep fear of gaining any weight or body fat um, and usually always challenge the idea that you should have body fat on you or you should have more weight on you um, so it always so varies per person. So mine started by putting in very strict food rules. I remember it so well. It was December of 2007, I believe. And I was adamant for the New Year's kind of New Year, New Me kind of thing. I would give up uh, chocolate, cheese and crisps. And I was like, they are my three kind of forbidden foods. And um, they became kind of like fear foods. And I am at the time, social media was not a big thing. So I don't even think, I think I was still using like MySpace or Bebo or something. There was definitely no Instagram. I was, you know, buying magazines and cutting out celebrity diets and trying to learn what was right and wrong to eat. And these are all kind of developing my food rules and my rights and wrongs and things that I would then use to kind of um, spark my weight loss and to keep me feeling safe. Like the whole premise of an eating disorder is that it is a coping mechanism and it helps you build up these walls and it helps you create this false sense of security and, and safety. Um, it can be a way to 
numb out something painful to deal with something painful that's going on or something difficult or challenging or stressful so you'll often find people developing eating disorders in the aftermath of maybe um, divorces if their parents have got divorced or, or grieve or if they're grieving if there's been a bereavement in the family um, stressful things like exam periods um, starting new jobs um, you know, anything like that, anything that could be like a real stressor or um, a kind of like a trauma in a way can spark um, spark an eating disorder to develop. Um, you often see them in athletes who um, are using their body as this tool for performance and who maybe especially in um, sports such as like gymnastics and um, dance and running where you're, where it kind of is an advantage to have quite a lean physique, um, you'll find a higher incidence of, of eating disorders as well. So there's certain times that we do see them um, more prevalence. Um, for me, it was kind of sparked by this feeling of always being different from my friends. Um, I always felt that I had um, just a larger body than everyone. Um, I was always quite an emotional eater. I suffered from so social anxiety looking back and I was always around the food table at like parties or events to try and kind of like keep my hands busy. I think as I got older, this turned into always having to have a drink or a glass of wine in my hand. Um, but at the time of being only like 10 to 15 years old, I was kind of using food as this way to cope. But then over time I was became really body aware and realized that this coping mechanism of kind of eating food um, was actually now making my body undesirable to myself and I felt different to my friends who were all quite tall and lean and pretty and I felt like I didn't match I felt I didn't fit um, and so I started this diet in the new year I started exercising more and um, I felt really good I started getting lots of praise from people people like friends at school boys at school I got asked to be someone's date for prom and it was really exciting um but that's when things started to go a bit wrong um all this positive reinforcement was great and I remember my mom saying to me Joss you look great let's just stop but I think as the weight started dropping off and as I got this positive reinforcement, I started to feel like dieting was something I was really good at. And for once in my life, I thought I found something that maybe people are validating me for and people are like realizing I'm good at. Um, and I also got scared that once I stopped dieting, I would just pile all the weight back on and, and I'll just turn back into what I was before, which I felt was unlovable or undesirable to myself. So there was this real like contrast and I didn't know what to do um, as the stress picked up from GCSEs as well. And people started getting into more serious relationships at school, dieting and restricting my calories became a way to kind of numb and avoid things. Um, and it kept it became a way to almost like socially isolate me from relationships and friendships that were getting more maybe intense or developing um, into more like romantic relationships and things. And and that to me, because of some past experiences, felt very unsafe. Um, so food and dieting took on this whole other kind of meaning to me. It, it gave me such a different escapism from life and as well as having the positive reinforcements at the time as well I will say size zero was massive it was all kind of like America's next top model and the Olsen twins were everywhere and there was these kind of 
catwalk models all over our magazines and and size zero was really the thing and I kind of I think this almost just made my body image insecurities even like 10 times worse because I just felt like okay I don't fit in with my friends and I don't feel I fit in in the eyes of society and I think that kind of gave me this massive identity crisis as well as just being disgusted towards my body because of things that happened to it when I was a child (sighs) so there was loads going on as you can see and I kind of became really fixated on these diets on quite orthorexic on what I did eat very controlling of the food that I was cooking I was cooking for the family as much as I could my brothers were at university my mum's a piano teacher and I just tried to cook every night and then would control their portion sizes but then would not control mine as in I would just restrict and restrict and not have certain things that I was giving other people to eat so I became quite a feeder of other people but not myself so there was a lot going on and I think when it got to my year 11 prom which had been my focus I wanted to like perfect myself I had to be honest, I look like Elsa from Frozen, even though Frozen wasn't created yet. So definitely I should claim copyright on that because I had this bleach blonde hair, all these ringlets and this iced blue dress, which was just flowy. It was such a princess dress. I wore this little tiara. I felt the shit. Okay. I, I did. I felt like I reached my goal of getting kind of like the appearance and the body that I wanted. And I still felt miserable. I remember as well, I lost so much weight by the time it got to prom. The dress didn't fit me and my mum had to pin it to my bra. But then the pins weren't strong enough because the dress was quite poofy and quite heavy. And I remember spending most of my prom just kind of sitting down because I couldn't dance properly. And it was just a bit of a nightmare. Um, As that summer went on and we had like our GCSE and our prom and everything, As the summer went on, um, it became evident to my parents that something wasn't right. Uh, When my brothers came home from uni, they could tell completely that I'd socially withdrawn, that I was being really weird around food, much more anxious around food, uh, controlling. I completely changed my likes and dislikes, you know, claiming that I'd never liked certain things before, like chocolate or pizza, uh, when actually they were just so anxiety provoking to me. So they picked up on all these little behaviours. And then by the end of 2008, when it was time to go back and start my A-levels, I was not in a good state at all. Um, And eventually, after a beloved friend of mine's mum actually spoke up to my mum about what she was seeing unfold, I was pretty much dragged kicking and screaming to the GP. And obviously then, given the glorious diagnosis and label of anorexia nervosa, Within about five minutes, my life completely turned upside down for six years, as did my family's. Um, That label came with such weight to it. And um, I don't think any of us were prepared for the next kind of six years of what would unfold. Um, I was told that day to go home, not to go back into George Abbott, my school at the time. Um, I was told to be on bed rest, I couldn't do my A-levels and just to kind of keep going up to see the GP and being monitored for my blood pressure and my weight every week 
and they made a referral to CAMS, which is Children and Adolescent Mental Health Services. Um, in a few weeks, I was referred there. And again, um, just kept being monitored with my blood pressure until it got ridiculously low. I wasn't eating. Being taken out of my A-levels was a massive trigger because I've always been very goal orientated. And for me, like having something to do with my days and like something to work towards was such a big motivator in, in almost eating and staying, trying to keep well. And when they were like, you just have to go home and be on bed rest, I just thought, well, fuck it. Like, what's the point? <laughs> I'm gonna, uh, there is literally no reason. And if I'm just lying around all day, then I'm not even moving. So I'm definitely not eating. Um, so it really just spiraled things for me. And I was very quickly put into a general hospital, uh, which is just my local one. But in general hospitals, the nurses aren't necessarily mental health nurses. So no one really understood that I wasn't eating. There was lots of food just put in front of me and people quite, um, unempathetically asking me or questioning me why I wasn't eating um, and I was quite emotionally shut down by this point I just felt very low um, I was put back on bed rest at home and then by the end of the year just before Christmas time I was referred to a specialist um, eating disorder unit which is my first out of three inpatient placements that I had um, to be honest this one was probably the best one out of them all and um I look back at that placement even though there was times which were horrendous um with like ad admiration for the staff and and thanks and literal thanks for the way that they ran their whole kind of structure of their inpatient experiences I mean they had so many different groups art therapies sports um there was so much to do and get involved with and even though I wasn't able to do my A levels and I felt really anxious about dropping out of the year and having to move down a year they were so good at keeping me focused on things um even though like the premise of while I was there was really centered around weight gain which was incredibly anxiety provoking for me because you know, for people with eating disorders that's literally like your biggest fear but unlike alcoholism or you know substance abuse you can't live without food like you can live without heroin and you can live without drinking wine but you can't live the rest of your life without eating food so it's kind of being faced with your biggest fear and then having your addiction to losing weight taken away from you and then being told like you've got to do this now for the rest of your life on your own um and it was scary and it was hard um and my anorexia was really, really strong. So there were lots of times when, you know, I'd kick up a fuss, I would be screaming or throwing things or running and uh, running away from tables and, and being horrible towards staff. And, and really looking back at the whole illness completely changed my personality. Um, this admission was also a really big kind of turning point. And it was the place where under the supervision and the counselling of a therapist there, I made the disclosure that I had experienced repeated sexual assaults um, as a child. Not by a family member. <laughs> so before people who actually know me are like, oh my goodness. Um, well, they should, probably still are like, oh my goodness. But it wasn't by anyone immediate family to me so um yes but there were still a trusted other 
um, of our family. So I think this came to light after a few little flashbacks and questions from a therapist to try and unpick my eating disorder with her. And very quickly after making that disclosure, we had social services called in, the police were called, my parents were called, and it was, again, this massive thing that was put into the mix um, of my recovery, which actually would keep me stuck ill for a fair few years. as it went to court and that was messy and that's a whole different podcast episode in itself that maybe one day I'll feel feel time to open up about um but yeah I think this was a turning point because it it shed some light on what was happening and and why my relationship with my body was what it was and and why my relationship with myself was as low as it was and the depression and the eating disorder and the anxiety it kind of gave it a name it gave it a reason and in some ways being as horrible as it was it was helpful to understand where things were coming from um but don't get me don't get me wrong there was a lot that was helpful about the admission there's lots that's not helpful about the admissions you find that a lot of inpatient settings are very weight gain focused I felt that a lot of the time was spent just kind of looking at what I would call and what we call in psychology, like the tip of the icebergs. So if you think of an iceberg and you think of like all the behaviors that you can see in an eating disorder, um, we call these like the tip of the iceberg. So the weight loss, maybe, or the weight gain, Um, the restriction of food or the binging on food, the exercise, all these are kind of observable behaviors that you can see. But really with an eating disorder and many mental illnesses, what you need to be treating is the stuff that you don't see, which is below the water level. So the anxiety, the depression, the trauma, um, you know, anything that it might be a kind of a root cause is what needs to be challenged and treated in order for the tip of the iceberg and the behaviors that you see to change. Um, So I found that inpatients are really good at treating the tip of the iceberg especially the weight gain stuff and just being like let's get you not exercising and let's get you eating lots more food and we'll bump your weight up so you're healthier and then shove you out and you know I'm not belittling the work that they did and the work that I did on myself in there because a lot went on I learned a lot about myself and I learned a lot about anorexia and eating disorders and and it's all helped me through my recovery but it was very weight gain focused and I think a lot of it at that time was against my will and so the motivation and the tools to stay healthy when I left were not built and this kind of played into multiple relapses and Also, you find that inpatient services and like outpatient services, so the services that you see when you're at home, they rarely talk. (laughs) So there was massive gaps in my care. And during those gaps in my care, I would relapse. Um, So even if I wanted to remain well, it just, it was hard. And I just didn't have the tools. I didn't have the techniques or the skills to understand my anorexia and how it was working and, and 
you know, being an anorexic in a healthy size body is really hard because everyone around you thinks you're fine and they look at you and they think you're better and they think you're well and they think you're coping when really you're like a swan and inside or below your feet are just flapping all over the place and you just you just don't know how to keep yourself afloat really and it was it was really difficult and I remember kind of watching myself relapse before my eyes and not knowing how to stop it and the fear and the anxiety um, being so great and without eating disorders aren't that psychosis so you don't hear voices per se but I definitely people talk about having the eating disorder voice or the anorexic voice and it's kind of like the most critical and negative parts of your mind being on loudspeaker I definitely did not know how to quieten them or how to not listen to them. It was like being bullied 24-7 by my own brain on like with the full volume turned up. So relapses happened and they happened quite frequently. In fact, by the end of 2009, when I just got back to doing my A-levels in the year below, I was whipped out and put back in another hospital. And this time it was up in Kent. I couldn't go back to the other one because... The NHS had weirdly moved their catchment areas. Thanks so much. Um, And this time I was in there for seven months. So the first place I was in for about eight months and this one I was in for seven months. Um, It was really difficult because during this admission with the ongoing police investigation um, surrounding what I disclosed to my last therapist, there was like loads of police involvement coming in doing kind of like video Um, statements kind of witness statements and um, the kind of tension of all of that kept me gripping onto my eating disorder because again it was the only thing I knew that would keep me safe Um, although this place was great because it had a school and unlike the before when I had to drop out of my A-levels I could actually carry on learning at this place at this hospital and that was so beneficial for me because I'm so goal orientated and I really really wanted to work towards going to university and doing paediatric nursing and so I'd got my A-levels I had all my textbooks with me and it was actually really beneficial because while my year were all going to lessons still and you know being told what to do and told how to study I was always already prepping for uni by self-teaching and self motivated learning and when you don't know what your classmates are learning and you have to sit exams you tend to overlearn because you're like what if I get this all wrong like what if they're doing all these subjects and I'm not so I worked really hard when I was in there in that hospital in my spare time studying and it gave me something else to focus my mind on other than my changing body and what was going on with the police so that was really positive um I had some really low moments in that hospital. I had some very suicidal moments as well. Times when I would be sent home and people would tell my parents to lock medication away. I even tried to overdose and ended up in a general ward. And then it was just, there were some really low moments and times when I felt I couldn't couldn't carry on and couldn't do it. I couldn't recover. And this was just how my life was gonna be. And if that was, if that was the way it was gonna be, there's no point. Um, there was one literally life-changing conversation I had with my one of my elder brothers. Um, I remember he was doing his master's at the time and bless him, worrying about me constantly as well. And he rang me one evening when I was feeling upset and distressed. And I remember him very calmly on the phone, just saying to me, 
Joss, you can choose to be a victim or you can decide to be a survivor. And although eating disorders are not a choice, and I'm not saying they are, there are always choices within recovery, always. The universe doesn't decide that you recover, who recovers and who doesn't. It comes from the conscious choice of the individual to survive and to have a different story and to also reach their goals and to believe that there is a different way that their life can unfold. Um, And I think that conversation really changed things around for me. And um, I think things didn't get easier after that, but it definitely gave me a different perspective to come, come from when I felt anxiety was taking over or I felt that I wanted to engage in a behavior that wasn't going to promote my recovery. So I'm always so thankful for that. And actually, I was able to self-discharge from that hospital um, before my 18th birthday and a bit earlier because I was doing so well, which was really good. I had an amazing 18th birthday. I went to download with my brothers and some friends. I saw the lineup was so good. I saw ACDC, Aerosmith and Rage Against the Machine. Um, Aerosmith are my all-time favorite band. And I saw them twice that year um, for my 18th. And it was just the best thing ever. And I think it also, little experiences like that during recovery and throughout the recovery um, really gave me these glimpses into like, this is what life's about. Like life isn't about being in a hospital. Life isn't about trying to control your emotions with food. Life isn't about trying to create this false sense of safety. It's about putting yourself out there. It's about challenging yourself and, and having experiences and meeting people and seeing your favorite bands. And, and later it was about traveling and, you know, continuously putting myself in a difficult position and showing myself that I can do it. So I think that really helped me that summer. And I did actually go to university. Yay! I managed to get into pediatric nursing. But I chose to go five hours away from home up in Leeds. And I think I just wasn't in the right space. Um, Also, one of my beloved friends from my first inpatient unit died, sadly. And I remember I found out on the day that I arrived um, for university and my parents drove and I felt so alone it was like the stabilizers had been taken off I waved my parents goodbye knowing that they were not even down the road if I needed them I found out this girl who was such an angel in my life when I was in an inpatient ward had died and I then had to cook for myself try and make friends try and balance university and I just didn't feel feel ready I felt overwhelmed um and very quickly I started over exercising again and I would buy food in and I too I looked normal or I looked like I was eating to the rest of my housemates and then I would just hoard it um I wouldn't touch alcohol I was drinking just black coffees on nights out and like people around me could see that I was I was sick I think the it got to a point where we had to get fitted for our nursing uniform because we were about to go in placement in the first term. And the uh, the lady at the front gave me like the smallest size. And I went into the bathrooms to get changed and it didn't fit me. It was too baggy. And I remember just breaking down in tears because 
I knew what was happening and I knew I was relapsing and I knew I was relapsing bad. And unlike before where I'd had this goal to get to university and this goal to be a pediatric nurse, I was like afraid of what dropping out or with things going wrong would mean. Cause I was like, I'm just going to be left without any focus. And I actually had the choice taken out of my own hands. Um, I was sitting in a seminar one day and my dad just rang me and he was like, I'm really sorry, Joss, but like me and your brother, we just can't sit back and watch you, you waste away. Like, it's just not going to happen. We're going to come and get you. And I made the decision when they came up that same day that I would, um, I would drop out of uni. And it was not an easy choice to make. It was really tough. And when I got back home, I remember literally just thinking, what now? Like, my friends are at uni. I have no focus. I've done my A-levels. I'm not going to be a pediatric nurse. What am I doing? And sitting with myself because of what happened to me in the past felt so difficult. And I just relapsed. I relapsed so quick and so bad. But this time, because I wasn't an adolescent anymore, I was put into an adult hospital. And this is where it really just got too much. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode. I'm going to rudely interrupt it just to let you know that if you're struggling with body image, disordered eating, anxiety, if you're just feeling a bit stuck in life right now, I'm available for health coaching. And guess what? Your first call is completely free. That's 45 minutes help free from me. It's going to be great. I'm so here for you. I'm your cheerleader. I'm your biggest advocate. And I cannot wait to see you level up your life and put yourself first. Back to the episode. All you've got to do is head over to the show notes, click the link in my bio and sign up. It's as easy as that. I can't wait to chat to you soon. Now, without further ado, let's get back to the episode. So adult wards are very different from adolescent wards. Um, and you'll find that there's less structure, as in like there's less to get involved in, less groups. I felt like my days were just a conveyor belt of food laid out in front of me. I also was at my lowest state mentally and physically. I was tube fed there. I was put on a large dose of antipsychotic, which looking back, um, I don't think I should have been put on because um, I wasn't psychotic and it just numbed me it just completely wiped me I slept a lot because of it just you know just completely knocked me for six and then I don't actually remember much of this placement at all because I just think a lot of the time I was completely like dazed and confused my brother has even said that he came up to play cards for me once and I was completely chatting shit and just my eyes were not with it like I wasn't there and I think they just put me in a lot of weird drugs that they shouldn't have it was just a bit chaotic but looking back the one really good thing that it helped me do was have time to get used to being with myself and although being tube fed was really quite traumatic experience and the adult ward was not a nice happy motivating environment to be in 
I created that for myself by doing lots of artwork. I used to do loads of my own kind of art therapy projects to really explore my recovery. I made this whole scrapbook full of like motivational quotes and things and I wrote poetry and I painted and I scrapbooked places I wanted to go to and explore um I just kind of made it my own motivational recovery book and it was something that I could fill my days with and I could give myself focus um it was productive it also helped me reclaim my identity outside of my eating disorder because by now I'd been ill for quite a few years and I was just so caught up in this world of anorexia and eating disorders and hospitals I kind of lost touch with who I was and where I was going um there was other parts of this hospital admission which were quite chaotic. I even tried to run away. I called a taxi. I left the ward. I upped and left. And then my brother rang me and was like, what the fuck are you doing? Turn around, go back. Like, you can't come home. Um, so there were parts that were really chaotic. I remember walking back onto the ward and just bursting into tears and really just not feeling safe, not wanting to be there, not knowing where I wanted to be. Um, it was quite yeah it was just quite chaotic but I did eventually with the support of a few really good members of staff I did manage to come off the tube feed and I did manage to self-discharge early what I will say is the story of how I came off my tube feed is one that I will remember until the day I die I remember I had this thing this horrible thing shoved in me I I didn't want it there. I hated being on the tube feed. I hated just watching this bag of food be pumped into me day in, day out. It felt completely out of my control. I, you know, I just, uh, even just thinking of it now, I I hated it so much. And I was so adamant that I would be taken off it early and, and that I could go back and try and eat solid foods again. And that, I think the reason they put me on it was I was taking so bloody long and refusing to eat that they were like, we can't hack this. Um, And it did help for a little bit, I guess, but then it just felt so out of my control. And I was like, look, just sit me back at a table again and I will I will match the calories you're giving me in this bag of food um, with the actual physical food itself. And my whole MDT, that's my whole multidisciplinary team. So we're talking doctors or the psychiatrists, nurses, dietitians, OTs, everyone who's involved in your care, this whole team were like, no way no way in hell are we taking you off that and I felt I wasn't being heard I felt like everything I was doing and saying was just seen under this label of anorexia um I really wanted to get off the feed I felt like actually my days were dragging because I had no meal times or snack times to break up it was just me in my room all day on this feed it was it was so tedious and so boring um if I was off the feed I could off obviously go out more I could go shopping I could do things I was doing that a little bit but people were staring at me I felt it drew attention to my anorexia even more than it already clearly I did um but anyway my team decided no they were like it's not happening I remember sitting there and feeling really sad and and feeling really unheard and unvalidated and everyone left the room apart from one trainee doctor He was German, I believe. 
And like I said, he was trainee, so he wasn't there the whole time. I have no idea where he is now, actually. I wish him all the best, though. And he sat there and he looked at me. And he said, Joss, I don't know what it is about you, but I'm going to ask that the tube feed is taken out. You have to promise me that tonight when you sit down at that table with the rest of the impatients, you eat every scrap of food on your meal plan and you do it so in the right amount of time because our meal times were like 30 minutes for a main meal and I think it was like 20 minutes for a light meal. And he's like, you do it in the right time frame. And he's like, we can support you around the meal times. When it comes to it, you have to sit down and, you know, if you refuse again or if you try and hide food or do anything, which is your eating disorder doing it, we're going to put you back on the tube. And I remember that night being so excited that this one doctor had put his trust in me. I remember so calmly sitting down at this table, looking at the plate and food of me, which was a meal that I had completely written off as like one of my biggest fear foods. And it was right in front of me. And I was just given it because I didn't get a choice that night. And I just remember eating it in like 15 minutes and remaining so calm. I think my heart was pounding the whole time. And just getting up from the table and being like, you can do this. Like, you've got this. It was so amazing. And I remember, I don't really remember much after that or the weeks that followed. But I do remember being able to discharge early and moving back home. And then feeling just really motivated. Like, I, being on that adult ward was literally like being in hell it was so dire it was so miserable there were so many chronic patients I just did not want to be there I just did not want that to be my life that was not my future I looked at my family that I had around me and I was like I've literally got a whole family of cheerleaders like what am I doing like I need to take this recovery thing and see if I can give it a real good go I remember getting stuck in with Beat, um, the biggest UK eating disorder charity in their support groups and attending those. I made an amazing friend who we used to meet up and do um, food challenges together once a week and cook together and go to exercise classes and then kind of speak about our recovery and motivate each other. Big shout out to that girl if she listens. Um, and I also remember just getting stuck in with things in my local community, like volunteering projects. Um, I got a job working as a youth worker with disabled children and young adults. Um, I was looking at university courses again, closer to home, and life was beginning to open up. I had my first real relationship, and uh, which let me explore kind of like intimacy and my kind of love my body and, and let someone else love me and my body which was really difficult for me to do at first and life was just beginning to build back up and I think that's where I want to end this episode really is although it's very whistle stop and there was so much that happened in between and and I'm not going to say that I got discharged and then I went home and everything was rosy it wasn't I had a long way to go in recovery in fact I think a lot of my recovery happened during university at Surrey and then after university on my gap years and traveling abroad. But I got myself to a place where I could do life and I could be a functional anorexic or have a functional eating disorder and manage it and be present and not be afraid to be in my body, whatever that looks like. Um, 
I think as well, I'm very blessed that the family I came from, they invested in private therapy for me. I had a wonderful therapist who really pushed me out my comfort zone. She wasn't afraid to call me out on things, to challenge my beliefs, my ideas, and to really piece apart the way my brain was working. Um, this gave me a love for psychology and it gave me a real insight into my mind in a way that I'd never experienced before. I think before I'd already always had CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy. But with this lady, I had psychotherapy, which is just a different model of therapy. And it's a little bit less kind of like thought, behavior, emotion, action orientated, and more to do with like, where's it all stemming from in fact if we go back to that iceberg analogy i was talking about before it's looking at all those things underneath which really all the kind of meat behind a problem the stuff that you really want to get into to understand yourself and to undo all the kind of patterns and coping that mechanisms that you create so she was really good at that and I went back to her a few times actually during my university and then when she retired I still went and saw another therapist privately to carry on some trauma work and to do with um, the sexual assaults as a child so I think I was always very um committed to working on myself, driven to work on myself, to progress, to grow, to evolve. And I still am to this day. And I think that is why I started Honey, Are You Happy? Which was kind of like a lockdown thing. And, you know, that's why I got involved in working and advocating for Beat, the UK's biggest eating disorder charity. Um, why I've always jumped at things like the media stuff on BBC or, or starting a podcast or talking on my friends' podcasts or even just sparking up those difficult and challenging conversations with people. Like if I'm sitting with my aunt and she starts talking about calorie counting or calories on menus, like I'm not afraid to debate and to get into the meat of it and to you know, have people open my eyes and, and give me a different perspective, but also to challenge other people, because I think that's what we need in this kind of fast paced and quite chaotic and disordered world that we live in. I think a lot of people do suffer from anxiety and eating difficulties and body image difficulties, um, maybe at higher rates than than before. And if we're not challenging each other, if we're not questioning each other, then we're not growing. Um, and I think that's what kind of sparked my desire to start this podcast and um, to do my psychology degree as well. Like I was just amazed at how my brain could literally go from being bubbly and and young and ambitious to being in self-destruct mode and, and almost like eating disorders are completely opposing to evolutionary theory if you think about your brain as trying to keep you alive and you know all those basic functions like hunger and fullness and um fatigue and um you know reproduction it, it's it's designed to kind of make you live and keep you alive um and my brain has literally turned into this thing where not eating and not drinking and and going into self-destruct mode was safe and felt safe and felt secure and and was my means of coping. And that interested me as to how your brain can go from healthy to unhealthy to, to thriving. And, you know, there I was literally getting through one day at a time, barely surviving to absolutely, you know, thriving in ways that I could have never imagined at that time. So that's the story behind Honey, Are You Happy? That's how I got into psychology, how I am where I am today. 
that is literally my story from going to from barely surviving to absolutely fucking thriving and I cannot wait to carry on this podcast and have you join me as I integrate my lived experiences and others lived experiences and specialities with clinical training research and my practice to just empower educate and support you through living your healthiest and happiest lives don't forget to head on over to the show notes where you can find links to other podcast episodes blog posts and also the ways to follow me on instagram where you can absolutely drop me a dm i would love to hear from you if you've enjoyed this episode as well i ask that you please support me in making these episodes by just giving it a share on your social media or a shout out or a rating on spotify it really helps and it literally costs you nothing 